You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. All right, Revelation chapter number 3, verse number 1. I'm sorry, verse number 7, the first verse of this letter. Verse number 7, the Bible said unto the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write, These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man openeth. I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou, I like that. He's in control. That's what I just tried to tell you. He's in control. Not only is he in control of the door, he is the door, by the way. They tell us back in these days that when the sheep went into the sheepfold, there was a wall around the fold except for the entrance and the exit of the sheepfold. And the entrance and the exit of the sheepfold was made up of the shepherd. The shepherd would lie down there in the entrance and exit to keep the sheep from coming in and sheep from going out. If you're going to get in the fold, you go through the shepherd. And if you're going to go out the open door, it's because the shepherd opened it to let you out. And tonight, the same thing is, I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm excited to talk about it. God is in control of the doors. Amen. He is the door. He said, no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength and hast kept my word and has not denied my name. Behold, I'll make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. Behold, I'll make them to come and worship before thy feet, and I like this phrase, and to know that I have loved thee, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that, fast which thou, hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall go no more out. And I'll write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. And I'll write upon him my new name. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches." We've gone through every one of these letters up to this point, and next week we'll get into the church at Laodicea. Most of these church letters have included a commendation, or here's what you're doing right, and then some condemnation, here's what you're doing wrong, and then how to correct it so that they can be blessed and continue on for God. When you read this letter, you will find no correction and no commendation. This church is a faithful church. It's a good church. It's a solid church. It's a church that loves God and is serving God and is adhering to the Word of God in spite of the circumstances, the city, or we could say the day that they're living in. One Bible commentator said that we could borrow the phrase from the Gospel of Luke, and it would sum up the letter that Christ has given to this church where the Bible said, fear not, little flock. And I think that's a pretty applicable and appropriate message probably for the church today. The church that is faithful, the church that is still laboring, the church that has not sold out or dipped their sails but is trying to live for God in a bad day, fear not. Just stay faithful. Just keep serving God. 
Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Be a tree planted by the rivers of water and just tell the world, I shall not be, I shall not be moved. For a little while tonight, I want to preach on this thought, a good church in a bad day. Or we could say it like this, a blessed church. We're going to see some things this church is blessed with. Let's pray together. God, please help us tonight. Learn from your word. I pray that you'd help us to rightly divide it. I pray that you'd help me to be spirit-filled. I pray that you'd encourage our church. Thank you for what you've given us. And thank you for what we're a, a part of. And I pray we'd continue on faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Revelation is the capstone on the canon of Scripture. By that I mean there is no more Bible books to be discovered and there is no more Word of God to be unveiled to you and I. When God put the final period and put his amen on the book of Revelation, we got our completed Bible. I don't care if they uncover some old manuscript in a trash can someplace and say it is the gospel according to Judas. I don't have any time for that. I've got a Bible right here, Genesis, uh, through the book of Revelation. God has given us his word. When we come to consider the book of Revelation, we'll consider it in a few ways. Number one, think about the penman of the book. The man that God used to write this letter is the aged Apostle John. He is John the Beloved. He's the disciple that Jesus loved. A compassionate man, but also a man of courage and conviction. And I'm glad you can be loving and still have a backbone at the same time. And John is a prisoner for the sake of the gospel. The penman is John. The place that he receives the revelation is the Isle of Patmos. He's at a colony for prisoners, a place of hard labor. He's been boiled alive and exiled to this island. He's serving hard time for being a lover of the Lord Jesus Christ. I said it a minute ago, thank God for compassion, and I like it when it can be coupled with conviction. And you, know, you and I can have the same thing. You can be fundamental and love people. And you can take a stand and not be hateful. Say amen right there. And so here's John on the island. Here's the purpose of the book of Revelation. The purpose of the book of Revelation is to unveil to you and I a little bit more about Jesus Christ. It is not the revelation of St. John the Divine. It is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is all about Him. Just like the entirety of your Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, every jot and tittle, it all points to the same target, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation reveals to us the purpose of Christ that is going to unfold in days ahead. So it's a prophetic book. The book deals with things to come. But the book also gives us some contrasts. As you study the book of Revelation, there are some stark contrasts made in the book. For example, you'll see the contrast between earth and heaven made in the book. There's some things that happen on this planet and simultaneously some things that are happening in heaven. There's a contrast made between time and eternity in the book of Revelation. There's a contrast made between righteousness and unrighteousness. It's very stark. There's a contrast made between good and evil. I like this. There's a contrast made between the people of Christ and the forces of the Antichrist, and God makes that very plain in the book of Revelation. Now, most of this book will deal with prophecy, but in chapter 2 and chapter 3, we deal with seven local churches that Christ has addressed. 
Now, you'll notice if you study it that Christ refers to the pastors of these churches as stars in his hand. He refers to the churches themselves as candlesticks. What I like about that is both stars and candlesticks are instruments made to serve in the dark. The pastors of this church, of these churches and the churches themselves have been made for such a time as this. The church was not made for peaceful days and pastors aren't made for days of comfort and ease, but God has his preachers and God has his places to serve in an hour and a day just like this. Sometimes we pray for an easy day. And sometimes we pray for peace and tranquility. But I like the song, when the battle's over, that's when we'll wear a crown. And God hasn't made us to sit on the sideline. God has made us to get in the fight and on the battlefield for the Lord. So he addresses these churches. Now, let's go back quickly just by way of remembrance. As he writes to the church in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus is a church that had left its first love. It was a church that was still serving, but they were not faithfully in love with their Savior any longer. You come to the church in Smyrna. The church in Smyrna we talked about was a church that was blessed in the midst of bitterness, but it's also a church that dealt with some compromise from within. You go on further, the next church as we studied together, the church in Pergamos. We talked about that church. That church had the doctrine of Balaam. That's a church that was compromising with carnality and they were assimilating with the world. It was a church where the flesh, not the spirit, dictated their philosophy and methodology, if you will. You come to the church in Thyatira. The church in Thyatira uh, was a church. There were some commendable things, but they also had this spirit of Jezebel, this woman preacher that was wreaking havoc there in the church. They didn't want to ruffle any feathers, so they kind of just let her have her way, and she was getting the people of God to yoke up with idol worship and, and immorality, and that was the condition or state of the church in Thyatira. Last week, we talked about the church there in the city of Sardis. The church in Sardis is concerning because that church from every vantage point looked like it had it going on, if you will. I mean, everything was thriving. Everything was growing. Everything was polished and spit-shined and looked good on the outside. But Christ said, you got a name that you are living, but you are dead. Remember I said that? They are absolutely stone cold, turkey bone, graveyard dead, dead. And I said that's a dangerous place for a church to get when they can put a veneer of life over the corpse within and everything is fundamental and everything is orthodox, but it's deader than a hammer. Let me say that dead fundamentalism is just as nauseating to God as vibrant liberalism. Hallelujah, anyhow. And then we come down here now to the church for today, the church at Philadelphia. What I like about this church in Philadelphia is this is not a church that has anything to correct. In fact, if you study this church and look at it as a period of church history, this is a moment for missions and church planning and great awakenings and revival. What I like about that is this, the trend has been negative from the outset. We start off in Ephesus, they don't love God anymore. Then we move on to the next church that are wrapped in compromise. We go to the next church 
church, man, they're worldly. We go to the next church, well, that church is dead and acts like they're alive. But then God upsets the apple cart or the song turns the tide and allows a little space of revival in the midst of that negative trend. What a reminder that is that God can step in whenever God wants to step in and bless his people and send revival. You say, well, I just don't think God can do it. Well, your Bible ignorance is hanging out. You better tuck it back in. Hey, God can do anything he wants to do, neighbor. God is in control. God is, he's pulling the strings and at the wheel. And if God wanted to step out of eternity into time right now and send a sweeping revival in this church and an awakening in this city, God can do it. You say, well, I don't think he can. That's why he's not, because we don't think he can. But I'm glad God is in the revival business. There might be empty shelves at Safeway, but God still has plenty of supply in the storehouse of heaven, and he can pour out revival. Now, the church at Philadelphia, let me talk about the city a little bit. The city of Philadelphia was a city of warm affection. In fact, it's a city which its name means, you know this, brotherly or phileo, love. It's not just a city of warm affection. It's a city of worldliness. It's a Greek city. So it would have all of the cultural things that go with being a Greek city at work here in Philadelphia. The, church, or rather the city of Philadelphia is a city of witness. It is an outpost of Greek civilization. They would take their Greek culture and launch it forth through that open door, if you will, from the city of Philadelphia and other regions of the world to spread the Greek culture. The city of Philadelphia was a city of wine. Now I got your attention. It's like the Napa Valley or whatever of that, of that region. The fertile soil in that area made it good for vineyards and the growing of the fruit that could produce wine. One more thing about the city. The city of Philadelphia was a city of wreckage and unrest. You say, why is that? And this is all going to matter in a minute when we read these verses. Because this city was built right at the base of a volcanic mountain. And that mountain would erupt throughout the history of the city of Philadelphia and cause absolute chaos and wreckage in that city so that the inhabitants thereof began to build their houses outside of the city gate and they could no longer dwell within. In that city of Philadelphia is where God has placed this little local church. The church in Philadelphia does not have the money uh, that other churches would have had. They don't have the size. They don't have a lot of the renown that other churches might have had. But this church, I believe, is blessed beyond any of these other churches. It's a small flock, but it's blessed in a big way. You say, why is this church so blessed? They must have had a big name preacher. No, not necessarily. They must have had a grand building. No, not necessarily. Why were they blessed? Here's why. Because they were faithful to God even in a bad day. Here's what brings the blessing train by your house. It is having faith in God. It is nothing more. It is nothing less. It is elementary, my dear Watson. Just have faith in God and watch God pour the blessings out in your life. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. But when you have faith in God, it is impossible. Listen, the possibilities are endless when you and I just anchor our trust and reliance and faith in God that can do anything in our life. So this church had faith. They were persecuted but pressed on. They might have had it difficult but they didn't quit and they stayed faithful to God and because of that they were blessed. There's nothing like a church by the way. When you think about the local church or the church in general, it was planned by God before there ever was a man or a woman to join a church. 
It was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's the perplexity of the church. It was a mystery until revealed in the New Testament that God would take Jew and Gentile, birth them by grace into the same body, and now we can all worship together by the grace of God. I think about the purpose of the church. What's the purpose? It is to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. That means if somebody's breathing air, they ought to get born again, and they need to hear that Jesus saves. I think about the preeminence of the church. Can I say the church is is not just one of the things that God is using. It is the main thing in this day and hour that God is using. We are living in the church age, not the magazine age or the blog age, say amen right there, or the home Bible study age. It is the church age with a bishop or an elder, a pastor, and people beneath him. I think about the promise of the church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Doesn't matter how they fight and how they war against us, the church is going to march on. And then I think about the place prepared for the church. Isn't that a blessing? One of these days we'll get to go home, be with Jesus, and we'll see him face to face. Let me give you some things I think this church was blessed with in a bad day. It's not silver and gold. It's not a massive following. It's not, it, it, it is not acceptance by the world at large, but they're blessed beyond measure. Let me give you some things. Number one, this church is blessed because of the Christ of this church. Look at verse number seven. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write these things. Now he begins to describe himself. These things saith he that is holy, he that is true, he that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man Openeth. Now, here's the thing. This church is blessed because they were serving the right individual. They were lifting up the one that needed lifted up. The one that ought to have the preeminence had the preeminence. And Jesus begins to address this church and describes himself. Listen to the Christ of the church. Number one, the Bible said he is holy. That speaks of his righteousness. I like that about our God, don't you? I'm glad he's not a deceiver. I'm glad he's not a liar. I'm glad he doesn't merchandise his children. I'm glad our God is faithful and he is holy, holy, holy. That is Old Testament language. As the seraphim would sing it out, holy for God the Father and holy for God the Son and holy for God the Holy Ghost. And in a world where everything is so unholy, I'm glad we can look to one who is every bit intrinsically, eternally, totally, completely, eminently, amen, holy, holy, holy. He was holy in the past, he's holy today, and he'll be holy tomorrow. None of us can claim that status, but Christ in us, thank God for that truth. But I'm glad he is holy. He doesn't need holiness on loan. He didn't have to get redeemed to be holy. He is the wellspring and genesis of all that is holy. Not only is he holy, speaking of his righteousness, but it says he's true, speaking of his reliability. You say, what do you mean? That's what it says. He said, I tell you who your Christ is. This church is blessed because they got the right Christ. He's the one who is holy and he's the one who is true. That word true there does not just mean that he does not tell lies. It means he is the, he is the genuine article. It means he's the real deal. It means he is not false gold. He is not fabricated. He is not counterfeit. He is the real deal, Lucille. I mean, that is the God that you ought to worship right there. He said, everybody 
everybody else is worshiping a block of wood. Well, that's not a reliable God. Everybody else is worshiping a lump of stone. That's not a reliable God. Everybody else is worshiping through ritual and routine. That is not a reliable God. Everybody else is worshiping through good works and morality, but that's not a reliable God. He said, but I'll tell you why you're blessed, because you are not worshiping temporal, tangible things, but you're worshiping a true, trustworthy, reliable God. He said, I'm the one who's true. I am God. I'm God altogether. I'm God all by myself. I'm God all alone, and I'm God forevermore. There's none beside me. I'm the King of kings. I'm the Lord of lords. I'm the creator and sustainer of life. It's in me you move and live and breathe and have your being. There is no God beside me. I'm the potentate of potentates. I am the prince of princes. I'm the ruler of rulers. I am God, and I'm God alone. He said, step back and stand in awe. You're not worshiping a monkey. You're not hugging a tree. You're not dying for some false Muhammad God. You serve the real deal, the legit God. I am faithful, and I am true. I like that. You might as well stay at home and watch American Idol tonight than come to prayer meeting if we aren't worshiping him. It'd be just as right. But he's holy, he's true, he's righteous, he's reliable. Then I like this, he has a key. He that hath the key of David, he that openeth and no man shutteth, and shutteth and no man... Brother Evans said, you always start giggling when you're going somewhere good. I've giggled a lot tonight. I like what's in the passage. It said he has this key, and this key can open things that nobody else can open and can shut things that nobody else uh, can shut. And I think about what the key means. I said holy, his righteousness, true, his reliability, but the king means that he reigns. Uh, he has authority. But not only that, that key uh, is the key to the storehouse or the treasury. It's the key to all the riches, all the blessing, all the supply. If you go back and study in Isaiah 22, uh, there's a man there, Eliakim, uh, that has given the key of David. That key of David that he's given is expressly to unlock the treasury of David. All the riches of God are in that treasury and he's telling them whatever you stand in need of, whatever you need today, I can meet the need because I got the key. I, I can get in the door. I can walk into the treasure room. I can get your burden met. I can get your need taken care of. I can uplift that downfallen one because I have the authority and the access to the treasure house. You say, well, I got a need. I got a need meter. Jesus is his name. Amen. Thank you. Number one, they're blessed because of their Christ. Number two, they're blessed with an open door. Because here's what it says in verse number eight. I know thy works, behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. There's a lot about doors in the Bible. Sin lieth at the door. The lamb's blood on the post of the door. Jesus in Revelation 3 into the chapter stands at the door and knocks. Christ said, I am the door, right? No man comes on the Father but by me. He's the only way in and he's the only way out. He's the one who's in control of these doors. What is an open door? An open door is an invitation to, an invitation to opportunity. That's what it is. An open, I don't have any notes. That's why I'm excited. God, It's an invitation to an opportunity. When somebody opens the door for you, you don't know what waits on the inside. You just know you're welcome to come and get in on what's happening on the inside. And here's what he said. He said, I'll tell you why I like this church. They've been faithful to me. It's a small flock in a bad day, but I'm going to give them an opportunity to do things these other churches won't get to do because they've not sold out or dipped their sail. I'm going to open a door for them and let them serve me. I thought about what opened the door. There's a few things that opened the door. Number one, their confession opened the door. 
What is it? For thou hast a little strength. What gave them a big opportunity acknowledging their littleness? I like what he says. It's not a slam. It's the greatest thing can ever be said about a church is that this church didn't have much power of their own. They didn't have much prestige to offer. They didn't have their own ability to lean on. They just had a little strength. But I tell you this, God manifests his greatness in my weakness. God displays his power in my inability. It is my weakness that perfects his strength. It is his grace that shines forth whenever I acknowledge I can't do it on my own. Abram, come out of paganism. I'll make you a great nation. Yes, but I have a little strength. That's what I'm looking for. Moses, go deliver my people. But I'm a stutterer. I have a little strength. But that's what I'm looking for. David, go fight Goliath. But I'm a little shepherd boy with little strength. That's what I'm looking for. Like Gideon, go fight for... I'm not a valiant man. I'm scared. To... That's what I'm looking for. He goes on Peter and John and Paul. You can run the list. Those disciples scared to death in an upper room. But they went to praying and Pentecost came on around the court. Why? They had a little strength. And here it is tonight. We don't have to have a lot. In fact, we don't even want a lot. We just want a little and get God in on our little and watch God do a lot with it. He said, you've got an open door because you know you need me. You acknowledge your weakness so I can bless your life. Oh my, their confession. Number two, I like their commitment. Not only did they have a little strength, but here's another attribute. You've kept my word. You haven't let truth fall in the street. You haven't left the oracles of God. You've not drifted far from doctrine. You've stayed with the word. What blesses the church? We preached on this last week. The, as far as you exalt the Bible is how far God's going to go in blessing you. You say, well, you're making an idol out of the Bible. This is the written word of God. If I worship the book, I'm worshiping the, the living word of God, the written... You see, you can't separate those. I don't think you can separate those. Amen. Amen. I tell you, this church is blessed because they loved the old Bible, the precious old Bible, the light on their pathway to shine, the B-I-B-L-E. Yes, that's the book for Philadelphia. I mean, they loved the Bible. Couldn't get enough of the Bible. Don't ever get upset. Well, all they got is Bible preaching. Hallelujah. Anyhow, man, thank God for the Bible. Hey, it wasn't Field and Stream Magazine that changed my life. And some of y'all don't know what that is, and you're highly, highly at a, at, at, at a, at a disadvantage. <laughs> Fuel and Stream Magazine, all it's ever done is affect my credit card back in the day. Back when you had to, like, send it in, Xerox, you know, mail it in. But anyhow, this book right here, I've been to meetings before. I've never heard anybody say, let me praise God for a minute for Reader's Digest. I just want to tell you how it salvaged my children. I've never one time heard anybody say, Calvin and Hobbes, bless God, the dynamic duo I was reading Calvin and Hobbes last night, and man, God called me to the mission field. I never heard that. But time and time again, I've heard people stand up and say, man, my life was at the end of its rope. And I opened up the Bible and began to read the Bible. I was lost without God. And then I opened up a Bible. I remember reading this one story about a fellow. He was given the, the Gospel of John like we pass out the Gospel of John. And, and he, was, he was just a heathen kind of a fellow. And he took that Gospel of John home. And he said, I'll show that old preacher. And he began to rip pages out and roll it up and smoke them. You say, what do you mean? Anyway, he began to roll it up and smoke. Make, make, 
marijuana cigarettes and began to smoke them and the book of John. He said, I'll tell you what I did. He came to church and gave a testimony. He said, I smoked John chapter 1, no problem. I smoked John chapter 2, no problem. He said, then I got to John chapter 3 and I read down about verse number 16. He said, I found out you just can't smoke John 3, 16. He said, I read that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He said, and I got born again when I got to John 3, 16. I say, neighbor, we can't lift the Bible too high. He's lifted it above his own name. I think we're all right if we stick with the Bible. They had a little strength. That's their confession. They kept the word. That's their commitment. And then watch this. They didn't deny his name. That's their conviction. They said, nobody's going to get us to recant. We're not going to deny that we love the Lord. He's not ashamed of us. I'm not going to be ashamed of him. Remember that old song that's in the church hymnal? I think we sing, I've heard people sing it here. I'll be a friend to Jesus. I'll be a friend to Jesus. Hey, that's what this church was. Not just when it was popular, because it never was. They said, he's been so good to us, we're not going to turn our back on the Lord. All right, number one, this church is blessed because of their Christ. we got to go quick. Number two, this church is blessed with an open door. Number three, this church is blessed by the promise of rapture and ruling with Christ. Let's look at verse number nine through verse 11. Behold, I will make them of the synagogue of Satan, which say they are Jews and are not, but do lie. That's good. God used to call liars liars. We can do the same thing today. Amen. Behold, I'll make them to come and worship before thy feet. And to know that I have loved thee. That's a good day when God reveals to the world, I love the church. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. When you get into verse number 9 and read down through verse number 11, these are prophetic verses. These are things that are promised in the future to this faithful church in the city of Philadelphia. And what he's reminding them is this, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. And he's saying, one of these days, I'm going to turn this thing around. Right now, you're in hiding. But one of these days, you'll be exalted. Right now, you're public enemy number one. But one of these days, you're going to rule and reign by my side. Right now, you're dwelling here with those that dwell on the earth. But one day, you'll lose all gravitation before the hour of temptation. And I'm going to take you home to be with me. There's some things about the promise. Number one, it is expedient. What do you mean? Look what he says, reverse order, verse 11. I come quickly. I like that. It's not like the people who come to maintenance things on your appliances at home and say, give me about an eight-hour window and you just stay at home all day and I'll be there between eight and midnight or something like that. And then they don't come at all. He's saying this, when I come, I'm coming. Whenever it is your appointment time, I'm showing up on time. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, he said, you won't even have time to wink. I'm at, you're going to be out of here when I come. It's expedient. What about this? It's an escape promise. Escape. You say, what do you mean? Look what it says here. There's two crowns mentioned. He says, them, look what it says. He said, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. That word dwell does not mean live on the earth. It means live for the earth. It's meaning anchored in the world. He's talking about that crowd that has rejected God and loved this present world. He said, whenever I come, I'm going to come to bring you out, call you up out of that crowd that's not going up. 
one of these days the Lord is coming for you and I. You see, I know that. He's coming at the end of the tribulation. No, read your Bible. The Bible says it right here in this Bible verse that he's going to come and he's going to keep us from the hour of temptation. The hour of temptation is the same thing as in Jeremiah, the time of Jacob's trouble. What he's saying is I've not been appointed to wrath. I've been appointed to rapture and resurrection. I'm not waiting on an antichrist. I am waiting on my Christ, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of that great God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Thank God incorruptible will take place of corruption, and immortal will take the place of that which is mortal, and the grave will lose its hold, and sin loses the war, and we'll lose gravitation, and go up to God, and then all hell will break loose on this earth. But we're not going through it. You say, well, I think we are. You can. You can pastor the church if you'd like to during the tribulation period. You and, anyway, you, you, you and, I was going to say, you and Hillary can co-pastor it for all that matters. But we're out of here. What about this? It's a promise of expediency. It's a promise of escape. It's a promise of exaltation. Because I'm going to make them, in verse number 9, we're going in reverse order. He said, I'm going to make them who've persecuted you down here worship you then. One of these days every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. But you know that you and I are also going to judge the nations. We can judge angels, it says. We'll be at that great white throne judgment too. Also, in that millennial kingdom, will rule and reign with Christ. He'll rule in perfect rulership, perfect justice with a rod of iron, but you and I get to rule with him. And those who've hated on the church are going to get put in the right place. Let me give you one more thing about that promise. It's an expression, a promise of expression. Because here's the purpose of rapture before wrath. It is to show the world God loves the church. <laughs> Why'd Noah get out before the flood? <clears throat> Amen. Why'd Enoch get out before the flood for all that? Why? God's reminding the Lord, I love Enoch, man. I tell you, I love Noah. Noah's done right in my eyes. That, that ark, he's going to get in the ark before the judgment, and then it's going to carry him up above the judgment. Same thing with you and I. We got in Christ the day we got saved. And one of these days, <clears throat> the judgment is going to come, but I'm glad we're going to ride up and out in the Lord Jesus Christ, and there'll be no water for us. Amen. We'll be above the, the judgment, above the flood, and the world will be able to say, hey, God, he, Christ loved the church. I guess he loved the church. The church, he loves the church. And he's going to give us crowns and reward us. Let me give you one more thing we'll be through. This church is blessed with the Christ they serve, the open door he gave, the promise of rapture and ruling. What about this? They're blessed with an incorruptible inheritance. We've got to finish the chapter 11 and 12. Behold, I come quickly. Hold that fast which thou hast, that no man take thy crown. That speaks of their reward. This church is promised, you've got a crown. Now, it's already waiting on you in heaven. Reserved, undefiled, incorruptible, prepared, waiting for you, a reward. Don't lose it. Stay faithful. And then watch. Him that overcometh, I'll make a pillar. Now, fellows from Virginia, North, that's not what you lay your head on at night. We're talking about something that holds a building up here. Okay? Not a pillar, but a pillar. <clears throat> Him that overcometh, will I make a pillar in the temple of my God. Now, you study that out in the context. This city that was ravaged by earthquakes, some things would fall, but those pillars would stand. And sometimes they would take the names of men who were considerable and inscribe their names on the pillar. 
That pillar was a testimony or a statute to the greatness of the individual. He's saying it's going to be worth the reward for you being faithful on earth when you get to heaven. But the next phrase is good too. It says this, and you shall know, it shall go no more out. That's a promise of reward, renown. What about this? Rest. I told you those earthquakes would ravage that city so that the inhabitants were scared to live in it. They lived in fear if they lived in Philadelphia. So much so that they didn't dwell in the city, but they took their self, themselves and their families outside the city and built their houses outside. They couldn't even stay in. They'd only come in to do business, then they'd have to go back out. But he's saying, hey, listen, church, you're blessed because you're going to a place where you don't have to fear and you don't have to worry about wreckage and you can stay in and go no more out. There's a lot of good things about heaven, but you know what heaven is? A place of perfect peace. We don't know peace here. Jesus gave us peace, but we're surrounded by so much unrest. But one of these days, we'll go to a place of perfect peace. No sin and no struggle, no heartache, no tears shed over burdens over there. You can stay in the city. One last thing, it's a promise of relationship, because here's what he keeps saying. He said, I'm going to write upon you the name of my God, the name of the city of my God. He said, also... The, the, my new name, all of that will be on you. It's an intimate relationship and an everlasting relationship. We'll spend forever together with Christ. You say, well, I just wish God would bless me. He has blessed you. He's blessed you in the future. You're going to enjoy these things, some of these things down the road. But it's going to be worth it all when you see the Lord. This is a little church, but they were blessed in a bad day because they were faithful. We might not be able to do everything, but we can do this. We can be faithful. And you might not be able to do everything as a Christian, but you can do this much. You can try to be faithful. And if you and I will be faithful, God will bless us. I promise you that. Let's bow our heads just for a moment. That's the letter to the church in Philadelphia. Several things there to take home, study on your own, read more about it. What a good God we serve. I'm glad we have the right Christ. And I'm glad we have an open door. And I'm glad we have an inheritance waiting for us. All these good things. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.